Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. Rancor in Montreal at the first Ministers' Conference. Communicate or not, a federal, provincial, and civil war appears underway. I spoke with the former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, who attended these events previously, Brian Peckford. Lawrence Solomon wrote a column in the Financial Post on Friday. The title was, If Alberta Turns Separatist, the rest of Canada is in big trouble. I spoke with Mr. Solomon about that. Listen to what he said. The first minister's meeting in Montreal. The mood going in was not particularly positive as a growing number of provinces are challenging the Trudeau government on issues such as carbon tax and Bill C-69. Scott Moe, the premier of Saskatchewan, had both of those on his priority list and I spoke with the premier. The list of nations now refusing to ratify the UN Compact for Global Migration is growing to over a dozen including the United States, Australia, and Switzerland. I spoke with Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada and former Foreign Affairs Minister, about this compact. He doesn't like it. Professor Salim Mansour of the University of Western Ontario has received a great deal of attention concerning his views about the UN Compact for Migration. I spoke with him about that. He fears it's the end of a free press and freedom of speech. Why has Switzerland now decided... It will not ratify the UN Compact on Migration. Lutzi Stamm is a member of the Swiss Parliament. He spoke to us about that from Bern. Now, uh, my friend Brian Peckford, the uh, former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, has been on hold while I've been going on here, Premier. It must be boring for you to listen to me. No, I, I really love it. Because <laughs> you're, you're covering all of the topics over the last week or so that I've been uh, zeroing in on as well. And uh, <laughs> love to hear somebody else vent and have some similar views overall. Yeah, there's it's more than two of us. Minor. There's more than two of us in this country. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just that if you, if, it's just that if you follow some media organizations, you would think there's just the two of us. Well, honest to God, it's just unbelievable. I just did a blog a few <laughs> minutes ago because I got so mad uh, about, uh, that was Andrew Coyne and, and uh, Chantal Hebert, uh, Coyne in the National Post and Hebert in Toronto Star, talking about the First Minister's Conference. And I, I know both of these people. They've been around for a few decades, and uh, they're so Central Canadian-centric that anybody reading them in uh, in uh, Bonavista, Newfoundland, or Tofino, uh, British Columbia, would wonder, are they in the same country? Because um, they don't seem to understand how this country operates, and that it is a federation. It is, you know, it is a, it is a group of provinces have come together and provided some powers to the federal government and other powers to the provinces and lesser ones to the territories, and it's a large, large country. And uh, uh, first ministers, this is, this is called the First Ministers' Conference, not for nothing. It's, it's not, you know, it, it's all of them are First Ministers. They're the First Minister of their respective governments that have powers under the Constitution. And and so, uh, you know, I get so upset when I hear these people talking as if, uh, you know, Mr. Coyne talking about that all of this uh, stuff at the First Ministers' Conference was federal issues. And there's not. I mean, the, the, the environmental bill that they're going to pass, which is going to make it more difficult to do anything in this country, environment is a shared responsibility under the Constitution. Yeah. 
And poor uh, Ms. Hebert, uh, she wants Ontario to go back to Bill Davis's time. So, I mean, they're so out of touch with what's going on in the country. They can't, well, some, I mean, some people in the media cannot accept when things go the way they don't prefer. I read Andrew Quine's column on, uh, on the Compact on Global Migration. Yeah. Nowhere in the column did he bother to mention the numbers of countries that have decided that they're not going to sign on to this exactly. thing. There, he, he just he, he he referenced some, and I'm going from memory here. But he referenced some European countries that had had right wing votes. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but there was no mention of Switzerland, uh, Australia, right? Um, right. You know, uh, Estonia. I guess Poland exactly. and Hungary don't qualify because. Their leaders are are conservative, very conservative, and right. very protective right. of their borders. I guess the people of of Hungary and Poland who elected these these parties, they don't qualify uh, under the global no. perspective. Premier, would you just uh, just assess? You already started to do this, but assess the national situation today. We have provinces lining up against Ottawa, such as the court case which sees Saskatchewan challenging the Trudeau government's carbon tax. So you get New Brunswick, Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Alberta too, if Jason Kenney's elected, but BC is siding with Trudeau. Do we have a do we have a bit of a civil war going on? Yeah, I think we do, uh, and I, I don't think it's it's being carried uh, properly by by most people. And I'm so glad that uh, you are uh, highlighting it. Uh, there is an, a serious problem here, and it gets exacerbated. And I think Canadians need to understand this. One of the problems you've got now with there being uh, a, a more national approach to things is that a lot of provinces are in trouble. And therefore, their ability to take on the federal government in a meaningful, substantial way is, 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 is largely undermined. Uh, you know, there's, uh, British Columbia is really the only economy at this present moment that's really doing well. Everywhere else, there's lots of problems. And, you know, more than half the country, uh, pro- pro- province-wide, is getting... Um, equalization and so on so they they get muted in their effectiveness and uh, i think one of the problems with this first minister's conference we just had is that the provinces were not as united as they should have been because it looks to me like uh, uh, our princeling our, our junior uh, trudeau and his, his ministers were effective in uh, sort of diffusing uh, a lot of what is wrong with the country and i think that was very sad and uh, so that, uh, you know, that, that's one of, but we do have serious problems here when you have a federal government imposing this carbon tax, you know, almost unilaterally, uh, you know, when you have them stopping and, and not helping and, and, and seeing Alberta's oil get to market. Uh, these are major, major issues. Um, that, well, energy, uh, energy wasn't even on the, on the agenda until well, I, the provinces raised Hades about it. You know, I mean, if, if suddenly, the, as Mr. Solomon is going to speak to you about, uh, the Alberta's oil and gas industry, which is in deep, deep trouble, uh, continues this way. The economy will suffer big time everywhere in the nation. That's right. Everybody, everybody is going to hurt. And no exceptions. Going to hurt. And, and, and it's not being taken seriously. And no. now we have the prime minister coming out. Talk about fault lines in the country. Talking about, oh, I, I might uh, contribute to some trains in Alberta instead of saying I'm going to contribute to getting some pipelines yeah, built. Exactly. And here's the man who's who's supposedly Mr. Environment, talking about transporting oil on the least effective, most environmentally unfriendly way. Meanwhile, at the same moment, in the same 24 hours, his Minister of Environment is out saying we should uh, close down coal-fired electricity 
when we have nine operating coal mines in British Columbia. Well, you, you talk know, about always, fault. You talk always. about fault lines. Our prime minister is a mobile fault line. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I really think that the, this first minister's conference, uh, um, which are necessary, notwithstanding what Andrew Coyne or, or anybody else says, they're yeah. very, very necessary for the operation of a federation. It is a federation. It's not a unitary state. And we need to have these first ministers come together on national issues. And come together and come out with something. You know, we went in, and the biggest issues for the western provinces were C-69 yes. and the carbon tax. Yes. And nothing no, really exactly. significant about either has come forward. What did Trudeau say yesterday? Well, the C-69 is going to be going to the Senate now, and they'll be studying it. He, he's, he's offered nothing. This, this country is yes. facing significant issues. We have billions of dollars in, in energy that is not being uh, exported. We know now that, of course, that Quebec is going to be Quebec, and it won't allow the pipelines through the province. But, this is, but, this but is where the national government should come in. Well, exactly. If the federal government's talking about it's the main government and all the rest of it, out of one side of their mouth, then they can't, on the other, uh, appease Quebec by disallowing a national project. It's Quebec being Quebec. But they are very smart. Canada. They're very smart about playing both both ends against the middle. You know about it. You know that, Premier. Exactly. But the first minister of this country, the prime minister, right. should act as prime minister and ensure that a national project gets underway. Lawrence Ace Pipeline, notwithstanding Quebec. Let me just read you uh, the first lines from Lawrence Solomon's column. Canadians don't value our fossil fuel economy, which explains why so many are okay to trash pipelines and see Alberta tank. Only 19% think it's more important to pursue oil and yeah. gas development than go green and regulate oil, according to yeah. Ecos polling. That means there's really no downside for federal politicians to trash Alberta and but their views if they go along with this particular polling. Yeah, good point. Yeah. But that's where leadership comes in and yeah. where you have, you're supposed to, at least the classic definition of political leadership is where you persuade people. Yeah to your point of view, based upon fact and rational discourse. Premier, I'm going to stop you because I went on too long before, and I okay. apologize. But I thank you. It's always an honor to speak with you. It's always an honor to speak to you, and have a wonderful show. Thank, thanks, and a great weekend to you. Brian Peckford, the former Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. Good guy. Financial Post column on Friday. If Alberta turns separatist, the rest of Canada is in big trouble. And it makes the case for how much greater leverage Alberta would have over the rest of this country as an independent nation and scoffs at the notion that being landlocked would be a hindrance. Lawrence Solomon wrote the column, and uh, everybody, everybody I know is talking about it. Lawrence, thank you very much for taking the time. My pleasure. Uh, you, you mentioned the uh, in the beginning of the column, you mentioned an ECOS poll which gives politicians cover if they refuse to support getting oil out of the ground. Would you speak to that, please? Well, apart from conservatives, uh, the majority of, of the country sees little value in developing oil and gas. Uh, just 8% of liberals think that uh, it's more important to develop oil and gas than to, than to go green and, in fact, to regulate oil and gas to make it more difficult for, for development to occur. So there's very little... Very little support um, in mo in most of the country for the Alberta economy. In effect, it's really uh, it's it's stunning that people could be so 
short-sighted and not recognize just how significantly important oil and gas is to our national economy and just how many daily products the people who feel that it's not important they use and without which their days would likely be hijacked. It is short-sighted and and it's heading in a in a very dangerous direction for the rest of Canada. If if uh, Albertans get inflamed much more and decide to leave uh, Canada, the rest of Canada would be in, in in serious trouble. Albertans would be just fine. They would actually be better off um, if they left Canada. But but for the rest of the country, we would see. Uh, the 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 dollar plummet because oil is, is our single biggest uh, source of foreign exchange. We'd see inflation in the rest of the country. Alberta would be insulated from that because it it gets uh, oil revenue in, in U.S. dollars. Uh, we we would see uh, investment plummet, uh, and we would become a major oil importer <laughs> because. Without without Alberta, there isn't enough oil in, in the rest of the country now. Say Saskatchewan and, and Newfoundland, the other oil producers, wouldn't be able to meet uh, Canada's uh, energy needs, not, not by a long shot. So suddenly we'd become oil importers. So for Canada, it would be an absolute disaster if Alberta chose uh, to leave the country. And we'd be importing Albertan oil. That's right. <laughs> we'd be importing <laughs> Albertan oil. You know, everybody should just... Think about that for a moment. Uh, just think about that for a moment. Now, you 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 write that uh, Albertans, um, uh, the the idea that Alberta would be punished or would somehow be negatively affected because the province is landlocked, is also not clear thinking. That's right. Al- Al- Alberta really holds all the cards. If if Alberta were an independent country, it would it would control. Uh, not only the, the territory of Alberta, but also the airspace above Alberta. So there are international treaties that need to be uh, entered into in order in order for a plane to cross uh, sovereign territory. Uh, Canada, as it turns out, negotiates indi- uh, in, individually with every country that it, that it, that it permits uh, mutual rights to, to cross territory. So Alberta would be in a position to prevent. Uh, flights from, say, Vancouver to uh, to Montreal or Toronto, without without uh, agreement from the, from the rest of the of the country. Um, similarly, for any train to cross Alberta, for any truck to cross Alberta, um, that would require Alberta's permission. The BC ports, it's a big part of the BC economy. They depend on traffic through Alberta, uh, both both directions. Uh, they they need they need the, the exports from BC go through Alberta and and imports um, into Canada through the BC ports leave uh, via Alberta. So uh, Alberta would have an immense leverage, and as soon as the rest of Canada woke up to that, it would immediately capitulate. It would it would have no choice but to say, of course, bring your 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 pipelines through our territory. Pipelines, after all have a negligible environmental effect. They're underground, very, very low rate of spillage. Um, and when there is spillage, it, it, the environmental damage is, is temporary and minimal. So it, there's only political posturing has prevented the pipelines from, from being built uh, east and west. And that posturing would, would quickly end once 
uh, once uh, the eyes of of other Canadians were open to the to the damage that would be done if if uh, they continue to pressure Alberta in this way. Yeah, and wipe the fairy dust out of their eyes. <laughs> That's right. Now, you, you also point out on the column that breakaway countries, and in no way do you promote the, the Alberta leaving uh, the Confederation. That's not the point of your column. I want to make that clear. But you look at what Alberta's options are and what the realities would be if Albertans were to get to the point. Maybe some of them are there now. I don't know. Um, I certainly see emails and, and tweets to that uh, to that effect, but I don't know what the numbers and the percentages are. But you're saying that breakaway countries have done quite well on their own over the last, what, 50 years or so, or maybe even longer. That's right. The, the long history is that, is that breakaway countries generally do very well. Um, and in the case of Alberta, that, that would certainly be the case because Alberta holds so many cards. Alberta is a major, has a major economy uh, through its oil, and that makes it economically powerful. It also makes it geopolitically powerful. Uh, oil, oil is an important factor. So Al- Alberta really has all the elements of a successful state. It's a, an advanced <clears throat> society, well-educated workforce, skilled workforce, and abundant resources. I mean, what, what more would any country need? Not only that, you uh, quite accurately raise the specter of a return to perhaps a sentiment of separation from Canada, from Quebec. And let's remember that the current premier of Quebec is a former minister in the Parti Québécois. That's just a, that's just a, a sidebar, but you do bring up the issue of, well, Quebecers may revisit their whole philosophy about breakaway? Quebec or certainly, you know, separatism in Quebec is, is something that, that, that doesn't go away forever. It, it keeps coming back. And uh, if Quebec lost, for example, um, the uh, equalization payments that, that come to it, a lot of it courtesy Alberta, it would suddenly feel hard done by. Um, if it lost uh, its share of the uh, quotas across the country uh, in dairy, because Alberta said no thanks, uh, it would feel hard done by. So it, there would be new grievances uh, in Quebec that would justify a, a resurgence of, of separatist sentiment. And sentiment for separation actually exists in other areas too. The, the, in the Maritimes, there's often been uh, separate sentiment. Um, it's e- very easy to see the country break away uh, if Alberta chooses to leave. You know, Canada really must do everything it can to, 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 to change the, the, the current culture that demonizes Alberta, uh, primarily because of its oil sands, but not just because of its oil sands. Yeah, Lawrence, I uh, earlier this year was speaking with the Premier of Saskatchewan, Scott Moe, who's going to be with us a little later today, on the Premier's conference, and this was at the time that British Columbia was uh, was challenging, uh, was 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 saying no to TMX, and uh, they were in um, conversation with the federal government and uh, with Premier Notley, and, and and Premier Mo asked the question, you know, if 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 a country, if a, one province like British Columbia could have this kind of individual um, uh, weight in the argument or the, the, the question about extending Trans Mountain, do we still have a country? And I found that to be a really significant and important question, and it came from a premier 
a sitting premier of one of our provinces. And that just, to me, underscores what your column's all about. Well, the, the, the problem really lies with the federal government because it has uh, been timid, and not just the current government, but past governments as well. It, they've been timid to assert federal rights uh, for cross-provincial uh, trade. Mm-hmm. Um, the federal government has constitutional authority to force pipelines in any direction it wants, but it's, it's afraid of the political consequences. Well, the political consequence of not doing that would be much, much greater uh, if, if an Alberta chose to leave. I appreciate you taking the time, Lawrence. Good speaking with you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Lawrence Solomon, his column in the Financial Post yesterday, if Alberta turns separatist, the rest of Canada is in big trouble. Let's take your calls and hear what you have to say about whether the words separate from Canada have entered your mind or perhaps your vocabulary. If you are in Western Canada, particularly in, uh, in Alberta, well, I'm, not, I'm not keeping anybody out of this. Out of this uh, issue, let's go. Let's start with uh, Barry, who's in Regina. How are you, Barry? I'm doing well, Roy. How are you? I'm well, sir. Please, I, w- I want it understood that if Alberta decides ever that it's going to leave the Confederation or Saskatchewan, I'm pulling the, uh, the moving van up to my front door. Because I'm coming with you. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, it, it used to be, and it wasn't that long ago, You'd hear uh, you'd hear that jokingly, and um, I know what's really concerning is uh, you hear it all the time now. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, any kind of social setting that I go to, or or even with work, it, uh, you know, it uh, it, it becomes a topic. What's of most aggravating? What is most aggravating, Barry? Well, I, I it's uh, you know I, I think of uh, Mister Moe's question every day since I heard it on your show. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it it's it's looking more and more like we we really are in a country, and and I don't know what you'd call it, but it's uh, you know all this talk about separation and all the rest of it is um, it's pretty upsetting um, for me. Um, you, you hear it all the time, and it's um, and what I'm really worried about is you know how much uh, people underestimate that that kind of thinking and that kind of. You yeah, know, that kind of language point. on good both point. sides. Barry, thank you so much for the call. It's a good point. Vanessa's calling us from Drayton Valley in Alberta, where the uh, business community, some 87 of them, sent a letter to the Prime Minister inviting them, inviting him to go to Drayton Valley. Good luck with that, Vanessa. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. good. Uh, that was Boots and Suits. Uh, there was a bunch of local oil and gas businesses that got together wrote a letter um, for the pipeline economy, but also for the not that uh, national park they wanted to put in. Mm-hmm. That would, it would literally, it would, Rocky Mountain House in Drayton Valley, which is the third largest producer of oil and natural gas in Western Canada, would be shut down. You so, know, the words, the words <laughs> shut down and Alberta should never show up in the same sentence. No, Not I mean, at this that time. National, yeah, that national park would mean no drilling. They mm-hmm. would keep whatever they have facilities out there running, but it would severely slash jobs. So what do you, what do, my question was, have the words separate from Canada ever entered an Albertan's mind or vocabulary? Roy, it's, it's the talk of the town out 
West here. It really is. If we don't get any support, a lot of our international uh, businesses have left because it's it's questionable. And we're very disappointed on how self-mutilating the federal government is to our industry. So, Especially being a, a woman in the industry. I'm a long-term pipeliner. I run an excavator and dozer. And I feel offended when Justin Trudeau says, you know, that we're, we're ill-mannered people out here. Maybe that's the 1%, the young guys that have a lot of money. But there are tons of family men that drive the economy. Yeah, there are. And, yeah, and, and good and good men too. and good men and there were some very eloquent replies to Trudeau that appeared uh, after he made that really ridiculous statement and he underscores what I called him shortly into his tenure the man's a twit. Oh. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I feel Albertans especially that rely on the the oil and gas industry out here we're we're very 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 strong. United Group. Thank you, Vanessa, in Drayton Valley. Mr. Trudeau, there's construction worker for you. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, he's getting, I don't know where Trudeau is. Where is he today? He's left the country, by the way. I counted it 59 times since he became prime minister. 59 times he's left Canada. Don's in Saskatoon. Don, we have 45 seconds. They all belong to you. Well, I think that uh, Mr. Trudeau is, uh, Totally oblique as to what uh, all Canadians want to do. He, his father started separation of his country, and he is going to finish it. That's all I really re- have to say, Roy. It's, he has nothing to do but separate this country. Okay, thank you for the call. I guess I can squeeze William in Alberta in really quickly. 30 seconds. William, go ahead, sir. It's breaking my heart, buddy. Uh, we got to get rid of these empty suits. And uh, if they're going to do the job, do the job. Stop talking about it. But let me, but but my, 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 William, my question is, have the words separate from Canada? Never. Never. Good. Never heard it. It's never crossed well, my I don't, mind. I, I say, go, yeah, I mean good, because I don't want the country to break up. No way, man. Are you kidding me? Best country in the world? But you have demands of the man who's in the well, oh, corner office of the PMO. Flying off on my dime. Uh, I mean, I work my butt off as a truck driver. Uh, never home. Paying the bills. Oh, you're a toxic male, my friend. You are a toxic male. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, William. You toxic male. I guess I am too, Mr. Trudeau. I think you are too. Kokanee comes to mind. First minister's meeting in Montreal, of course. Yesterday we heard the mood going in was not particularly positive as a growing number of provinces are challenging the Trudeau government on issues such as carbon tax and uh, no proper and sustainable plan to take advantage of Canada's tremendous energy resources. Bill C-69 is a particularly contentious issue. Joining us on the program to speak about that particular conference, what's come out of it and what lies ahead is the Premier of Saskatchewan, Scott Moe. Uh, Premiers Moe and Ford of Ontario are particularly critical of decisions taken by the Trudeau government. Premier, thank you very much for the time. Thank you, Roy. Have I ever said you have the best intro music? 
No, but thank you. Yeah, we work on it. We work. We work on it. Yeah. Now that's great. Uh, I was about. To, I thought you were about to say something nice to me, but hey, what the heck? Oh no. yeah, yeah. One of the best. <laughs> uh, one of the best interviewers as well, for sure. <laughs> thank you. Now let's get serious. If if one sentence were going to describe what happened yesterday, what would that sentence be? Strenuous. No, it'd be, it was it was a it was a strenuous meeting. I mean, we have some serious challenges, uh, economic challenges uh, in this nation, and, and we have a number of challenges. We have uh, environmental targets that we need to make as need to hit as well. But it was a strenuous meeting, uh, working uh, and staying focused on what is the largest economic challenge that likely in my lifetime, and that's the oil differential that we are facing, and that's a challenge for not just Western Canadians, but in, in fairness, all Canadians. We have a stranded asset here that is. Uh, that, uh, that we need to focus on to ensure uh, the, the better economic health of, of our nation. Now, we heard... Uh, that, was, that was more than one sentence. You know, that's fine. Uh, use as many sentences as you, as you wish, Premier. Uh, if we heard yesterday that uh, Premier Ford might not attend, or did before yesterday, that he might not attend or that he might leave, uh, that you weren't particularly thrilled with what was or wasn't on the agenda... People put words into other people's mouths. Uh, are we are we in a in a reality now, in this country, where there is an undeclared uh, political civil war going on between provinces, not all of them, but between provinces and, and Ottawa? We're at a divisive uh, moment. We we truly are politically uh, in this nation, and it's up to us as leaders. I think uh, to to rise above that, and I say all uh, all leaders, uh, we we need to bite our tongue from from time to time, but also push and represent the, you know the people that we represent in our jurisdictions. But we uh, we are at a divisive time. I mean, we see a a uh, you know a carbon tax being uh, pushed on on provinces across beyond uh, well, in Canadian families across uh, across the nation, and. Um, with, without the support to the majority of Canadians, we see Premier Ford, who ran an election on on getting rid of that carbon tax and was successful uh, with that. We see uh, the Premier of New Brunswick uh, um, running on on the same platform. We have never been in on such a tax. Uh, we see Alberta backing away uh, from uh, their involvement with this tax, as well as Manitoba. So, uh, this you know that is just one example of the divisiveness, uh, the divisive policies that we have uh, coming. Uh, seem to be coming over the last period of time. And they're not just divisive in this nation. We see what's happening in Paris and Europe, uh, all spurred by uh, a forced uh, carbon tax on families uh, that, well, I think families are finally, uh, you know, coming to the realization that it just costs them money. It really has no environmental outcomes. I've been saying that all along. Um, and these are, these are divisive decisions that uh, are coming home to roost. Premier, sometimes people feel that, or, or you can almost hear it in their voices, that, hey, it's only just a few more dollars. It's only a little more money here. And ultimately, it's for the good of everybody. But people who say those things, and I'm talking about people in certain positions of leadership, they're not living the lives of those families. They're not living the lives of families who are overtaxed, who find, you know, even buying the, the essentials of life to be a challenge. And so to introduce additional taxes and to do so in a, in a, um, in a non-negotiable manner uh, and then say, and I'm, let me focus on the carbon tax here, and then to say, well, we're going to give all the money back to you anyway, 
It just doesn't make sense. And as your predecessor, Mr. Walls, said to Mr. Trudeau, so you're going to tax us. Then you're going to give the money back to us so we can give it back to the people you taxed, uh, we had to tax. What's the point? And that's, that, that question has stuck with me all along. What's the point? So here you are yesterday. You're in this, in this premier's meeting, first minister's meeting. You're dealing about, with, with, the, with the carbon tax. Was there any point to the discussions that took place yesterday? Did you come out of there with anything that was even marginally better than you had when you went in? With respect to the carbon tax, no. And those infamous words, what's the point, uh, I live on, uh, I, I wake up thinking of those each and every day. It's a classic, uh, it's a classic Canadian political line. Absolutely, it is. And, uh, you know, you had said uh, it's just a few more dollars. Well, usually when you hear those words, it's someone in, in government uh, saying that to uh, to hardworking families. And it's usually the hardworking families' dollars that the government person is talking about. And that is precisely uh, not what government is supposed to do. They are supposed to act on behalf of the hardworking families and, and people that they represent uh, to run as an efficient operation as they can. So they uh, have to have, uh, to, so that we, us in this province, our goal is to have as low a tax rate as we possibly can. Now, understanding uh, we have to provide services such as health care and highways and, and education, so there has to be some uh, tax rate, but in, and not, not, not to just uh, take the dollars, uh, just a few dollars, and then give it back. So most certainly Brad's, uh, Brad's words, what's the point, uh, still ring true uh, today. With respect to the meeting uh, yesterday, um, I had two benchmarks coming out of that meeting. I didn't achieve the one. I, I asked them to respect the, uh, the the will of the courts and allow the courts time to ri- to uh, to rule on whether or not the federal government even has the constitutional power to enact this carbon tax. They, they refused that as they as they always have. Um, they should do it. They did it in the case of pipelines. They allowed the courts uh, some time to do the work. They should do it now, uh, and I mean the federal government should allow that. Um, but they they had indicated they won't. But we may we may get an answer anyway before April the first. We'll see on our on our reference case of which a number of provinces have intervened on. Now the other, uh, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, I was going to say the second benchmark I had was was to say to repeal or scrap Bill C sixty nine in its current form. Uh, it is a bill that will end all industrial expansion. Uh, it'll end pipeline expansion. It'll end. Uh, essentially any mining projects uh, that we have in Quebec, Ontario, Saskatchewan, uh, British Columbia, across the nation. And and that isn't what we're about. We're an exporting nation. We export natural resources that are produced uh, competitively, high-quality resources. And I dare say uh, they are produced as sustainably or more sustainable than anywhere in the world, and we should never forget that. And we should be enhancing our, our opportunities to displace dirtier natural resources that are supplied from other areas of the world, um, and we should be expanding our resource in- industry, and we should be pr- proud of it, whether it's energy, whether it's oil, whether it's potash, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever uh, natural resources uh, we have here, uh, we should be looking at expanding them and displacing uh, other other products around the world. Bill C-69 will stop all of that in its current form. Uh, we did get a commitment from Minister McKenna and the Prime Minister that they would be working uh, with us to to adjust that bill into something that actually may be manageable, so we'll be engaging on that uh, immediately. Well, I hope you and, do, and because... That's, and that's new, and that's new. Yeah, that, that is new. Uh, I, when I heard the, the Prime Minister after the meeting, uh, he was talking about C-69 making its way to the Senate next, and the senators would be reviewing it. I didn't really get the sense that he was enthusiastic about anything coming from the ground level from him. And Premier, when I, when I look at uh, the Environment Minister... Minister McKenna's uh, Twitter feed, 
there's no tolerance there for pipelines or moving natural resources that I that I can see. So you're hopeful that something. Uh, I mean, what has to happen? Right? Is the C69 either has to be significantly uh, changed or dropped? Has to be changed or dropped. Uh, the, the, uh, Minister McKenna's words, uh, to quote her, were, "We are here to work with you." End quote. And that is, uh, I assume, to be the provinces. Now, maybe I'm naive in, in taking her at her word, um, because the last time, in fairness, when we did uh, take uh, the uh, the prime minister and the federal government at their word that we would work together on uh, on a policy initiative such as climate change, uh, they introduced a. Uh, an imposed carbon tax, a forced carbon tax on Canadians. So, you know, maybe I'm naive in that, but that, those were her words, as we are here to work with you. Uh, the Prime Minister uh, reiterated that as we went through uh, our, our work on the communique, and I, I look forward to working uh, with them on that bill. And if we're not able to, then uh, we'll, we'll increase our pressure that it needs to be scrapped because it will end uh, all industrial uh, expansion here in, in, well, in our province, but also across the nation. And we have uh, increasingly increasing challenges with uh, with the stranded asset that we have in Western Canada, the the, uh, the sustainable energy asset that we have, and that's showing it's coming home to roost financially for all Canadians. Well, we also have uh, international investors, people who, uh, who are responsible for trillion plus dollars of other people's money to invest it properly, writing letters to Mr. Trudeau, urging him to be more proactive and have a more sensible, my word, more sensible approach to to, uh, to his energy policies. We, we do, to all of our natural resource policies. Uh, essentially, uh, we have foreign direct investment that is that is leaving this nation at a time when, when uh, quite honestly, uh, we should be attracting uh, not just a little bit of it, but we should be in the hunt for for all of it. We have the natural resources. We have the the growing and vibrant communities. We have the opportunity uh, through working together to to uh, take the products. Let me provide this example. Uh, take a product like uh, like uh, oil that we that we have here in, in the province of Saskatchewan or, or the province of Alberta, and we can put people to work uh, uh, producing uh, that product. We can put that product in a safe, efficient, uh, uh, and sustainable uh, pipeline. To another area of the nation, uh, let's say, let's say uh, New Brunswick or Eastern Canada. Uh, there, they can uh, we we can employ people in building that pipeline and maintaining that pipeline along the way. We could employ people in a refinery in New Brunswick, adding value to that Canadian product and shipping it off to sell to the world in a very sustainable manner. If we go back to to uh, to our production here, we have a forty to forty five percent reduction of uh, methane coming over the next decade. We most certainly have one of the most sustainable production methods uh, in the world right here in Saskatchewan, and we can put people to work right across this nation, increase our export, increase our opportunities, and just increase uh, the wealth for all Canadians if we do this together. You know, together is the key word, Premier. We have uh, well, it's a country, it's a nation. A nation uh, of uh, massive land uh, space, a massive space and a relatively small population. But we need to be cooperative with each other. And as you were just speaking, I was reminded of something, another line uh, in Canadian politics, which I think should reverberate and should be asked periodically when we're at loggerheads with one another, perhaps led by a federal government that has its own agenda. And that is, do we still have a country? And that was you. That was you. That's a legitimate question to ask. Email from Rod, uh, Roy, meaningful changes to this is unlikely, Bill C-69, but what's being ignored is even that in even in the unlikely event that it's withdrawn or modified, there still remains 
the equally nasty C-48, the tanker ban, a bill which the Eagle Spirit Project is challenging the government on in court. Um, back to Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe. Premier, pipelines are necessary, but we also have to have some real unity on this, unity of purpose. And Quebec is back to its position, from what I understand. There will be no pipeline going through, as in Energy East, going through the province of Quebec, but they want to sell their hydroelectric power, and Quebec is not at all unwilling to accept many billions of dollars annually in transfer payments. I don't want to start a war between you and, and the Premier of Quebec, but it's worth a comment. What, what, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, no, and, and, and I have the utmost respect for uh, Premier Legault and, 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 uh, and a good relationship uh, with, uh, with uh, Premier Legault, and we had, a, we had good conversations over, over the last couple of days. Uh, but, uh, you know, but in saying that, um, the facts are what they are. We do have a jurisdiction that is a major beneficiary of equalization and uh, has, is making comments about, uh, you know, how we are able to move a stranded asset from one area of the nation to another. In fairness, and Premier, Premier Legault articulated uh, this very well, is he has a similar challenge in hydroelectric power, in, in that he has excess hydroelectric power that he would like to move to other areas of the nation uh, as well, and, and, uh, and point taken. Uh, you know, a similar, a similar challenge in Quebec when it comes to hydroelectric power. So, uh, but we do have a, a uh, you, you don't get to have it both ways with respect to uh, having a wealthy nation where we're able to have an equalization program uh, such as we have, and then make decisions in, in regions of our nation that essentially eat away and diminish that wealth that we have and Let's face it, the energy sector is a big contributor to the equalization program. Um, if you eat, eat away at that 80%, and we are experiencing in some days an 80% discount on that product in Western Canada, there is less money to go around. So you will, A, um, either allow and have the conversation about how to add value to these products and, and jobs to Canadian communities across the country and wealth to all Canadians, or B, uh, you'll say we don't want to have that conversation and we'll have less wealth to distribute and we'll be a poorer nation and we won't have as, uh, as many employment opportunities for, for that next generation for, for our children. So, you know, that is the, the discussion that we have to have, to have and right. we have to have it as, as leaders. Premier, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I always enjoy speaking with you and uh, we have to employ common sense and understand that it's in our mutual benefit, to our, to our mutual benefit to move ahead uh, in a in a in a positive way, and that includes the pipelines, it the carbon tax. I wish you well with that. You have some allies now, and C sixty nine has to go. Thank you, Premier, for the time. Well, thank you much. Uh, thank you very much, Roy. And uh, uh, despite my question uh, a few weeks ago, I I truly believe we we are all Canadians first, and and that is how we have to approach each and every conversation. We are, and I understand that. United Nations Global Compact on Migration which is going to be signed in Marrakesh next week by Ahmed Hussein, the Federal Minister of Immigration, Citizenship, and Refugees. Prime Minister and the federal government insist it's good for Canada, great for Canada. Uh, others are saying not the case at all. Absolutely not. And other countries have, who are going to sign it have decided not to. One of those countries is Switzerland. And we'll be speaking with Lucy Stamm. He's a member of the Swiss Parliament. He'll be joining us uh, later on in the hour. By the way, in about uh, 12 minutes... We'll be speaking again with Jerome Godfroy, the reporter in Paris, who was with us last weekend, 
on the violence that's uh, taking place and the, the rioting that's taking place again this weekend in the French capital and the protests across the country against the policies of Emmanuel Macron. Now, there's, there's talk in France now that it, there are professional uh, troublemakers who are sort of hijacking the, uh, the protests. Let's get at this issue of the, um, of the migration pact. The list of nations now refusing to ratify the UN Compact for Global Migration is growing to over a dozen, including the United States, Australia, Austria, Hungary, Poland, and as I mentioned, Switzerland, and the UN Special Representative for International Migration, Canada's Louise Arbour, a former member of our Supreme Court, is quoted as saying, it's very disappointing to see that kind of reversal so shortly after a text was agreed upon. Uh, Canada will sign the compact. Joining us is Maxime Bernier, um, and uh, of course the leader of the People's Party of Canada. Mr. Bernier, thank you very much for the time. And I, I understand, before we talk about the compact, I understand that you now have electoral district associations set up in 278 out of the 338 ridings across Canada? Uh, right now, we are at 292 up today, and it's uh, it's great. We'll be able to achieve our goal to have a 338 riding association in every riding in this country. So that's going very well, and I'm very happy with that. And by the way, I, I want to thank also all our volunteers who are helping us all across the country to do that. Okay. Well, there are those people who wrote you off who are still writing you off. Uh, I, I would not. I would not do that. I, I, I think there's a. I think there's a, a lot yet to be said about what might happen with your party. Now, what's your concern about the UN Compact? Well, first of all, you know, I'm uh, very proud to be uh, one of the first leaders of a political party in Canada a month ago to be against that and to say to, I said at that time, to the federal government, to the Trudeau government, that to sign that compact because it is part of a concerted uh, international effort to promote migration and make it look like uh, it is a normal thing that countries should, should embrace and facilitate. Uh, for us, you know, it is not normal, and uh, we must not try to promote uh, more migrations across the world. And I think that is uh, very important. But as you said in the beginning, some people are saying, like the prime minister, it is a non-binding treaty. Uh, Canada will keep um, will keep our sovereignty. Uh, yes, uh, okay, it's not binding. But why signing a treaty? And you will have to uh, agree with the principle and you will have to change your legislation, not by force, but because you are signing this treaty and these uh, compacts. So and that will have an impact on our uh, jurisprudence also in the future in Canada. So uh, we must not sign that. And altogether, I think that Canadians, uh, 49 percent of them are saying that we must uh, have uh, immigration level lower than what we have right now and not always more and more and more immigrants. So, uh, you, as you just said, we're told there's nothing to be concerned about, that the pact is voluntary and that our borders will not be open uh, to any migrant who can make it to Canada. Others say that migration will be a human right and to criticize it will be risky for anyone, including people in media, and freedom of speech might be history. 
Yeah, and that's another part in in the compact, you know. I think the Trudeau government agree with that because also they just decided to give six to give six hundred million dollars to the uh, the newspaper and the traditional media. And in the compact, you have a clause in the compact saying that you must uh, the media and the government the government must use is propaganda and try to manipulate the media for having a, a positive coverage on migration. So, you know, that's not the role of the government. The, the media must be independent from the government, not dependent from the government. Uh, it's, uh, first of all, that 600 million, it is a waste of money, and it's not good for democracy. But signing that and agreeing with the uh, the clause that is the clause that just said, say that uh, they must uh, promote positive image of migration, and, and I think it is not the role of the government to do that. Not something the United States will look up on uh, very, very favorably. Canada's signing on to this compact. I've already seen some some uh, articles or some news coverage from the United States expressing concern. Yes, and also we can have some concern also in Canada because, you know, what's happening right now in my own province in Quebec with the, the migration, the illegal migrants that are crossing the border at the Roxham Road, um, we must stop that, and I think that's why only six percent of Canadians they agree to have more uh, immigrants in this country. Only six percent. When the the Trudeau government now they're raising by forty percent the, the number of immigrants entering our country. But the most important in that compact, uh, all these migrants, they, it is written in the compact, they must uh, immediately get the same privileges as Canadian citizens. That will be another huge cost for the country. We we just saw last week that the cost for the illegal uh, immigration uh, right now it's about more than a billion dollars in one year. So that's what in yeah, one year. In one year, yeah. So so that's why you know all that together. I understand the population to be against that uh, that that part that that uh, compact. Well, you know, I uh, if you're going to do something like this, which will have wide-ranging consequences for this country and has global implications and has other countries backing out, countries that were signing on to it, ready to sign on. Australia has been one of them, as I said, Switzerland and other will be speaking with the Swiss Member of Parliament before the end of the hour. But you want to have some logical explanations. And Mr. Huston has said that signing on to the compact will, in fact, allow Canada to work with partner countries on this pact, this compact, and provide them assistance in creating the kind of environmental, or not environmental, but economic environment in their countries which will um, dissuade people from leaving and becoming migrants. And my question is, why do you need a compact to do that? You can do that by just engaging in a bilateral agreement. Uh, absolutely. And if you go on the UN uh, you know, they are for migration, but migration, you know, uh, it is uh, it is something that is happening to people. And, and, and I can understand that it's uh, they must they, they want to leave their country because it's, uh, it's it's very tough for them, for their security and all that. But the goal must be to do everything all together, every uh, country to be sure that they will be able to stay in their own country first. But no, that's not the goal. The goal is, okay, yes, you, you, migration is good, and let's have more uh, migrants. And that's not, uh, that's not what we believe in. No, and uh, far too many efforts the, un- the United Nations have undertaken have turned out to be not exactly successful. Mr. Bernie, thank you for the time. Good talking to you.
I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. You too. Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada. Column by Salim Mansour in The American Thinker. Justin Trudeau's Canada embraces a world without borders. Professor Mansour also wrote a piece for the Gatestone Institute at the end of November, which was headlined Canada's Treacherous Faustian Bargain. And uh, the professor, who uh, is at the University of Western Ontario, joins me on the Roy Green Show. It's been a while since we've spoken, Professor Mansour. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Mr. Green. So uh, looking at your uh, column in American Thinker, uh, the second paragraph you write, the UN Global Compact spells out in 34 pages of fine print requirements for member states to adopt as policy accommodating unfettered mass migrants from the global south to the north. Explain that to us, please. Well, I mean, uh, the document that uh, our government is uh, going to sign on uh, December 10 in Marrakesh, Morocco, is a UN agreement, a UN uh, plan and program that sets out in detailed manner on how uh, the signatory countries are supposed to respond to what has now become for everyone who's watching this story unfold a, a huge uh, global crisis. One might say it might be the biggest crisis in international politics in the first half of the 21st century. Uh, and so the United Nations is laying down uh, all the fine points about how countries like Canada, how we must uh, basically accommodate, accept, and treat the migrants, to use the words of the document, with respect, protect, and fulfill. The question is, what are we supposed to do that we haven't been doing uh, on our own terms as independent, sovereign, independent country? After all, it is the migrants are headed only in one direction, as I've explained in my article that you have read, my uh, piece, both in the Gatestone Institute piece and in the American Thinker. The direction is only one direction. It is from the global south to the global north. Migrants are not moving to India or to China or to Middle East countries. It's just the other way around. And so what is it that Canada has not been doing, for instance, we might ask ourselves. I mean, we have been, you know, very generous. We have been very open. We have been very accepting to uh, refugee claimants and people seeking amnesty. And we have a regular program of about a quarter million every year uh, in terms of immigration. But the migration, this uh, UN Global Compact on migration, uh, regular and safe migration, in a sense, trumped all of that. It is a top-down approach that lays down the protocol. Okay, we're having some uh, difficulty with your with your phone, with the connection with your with your mobile phone. Are you still there? Okay, we're back with you. It's it's just the it's the marvels of technology. We've come so far, Professor Mansour. Let me ask you this: uh, yeah. We keep hearing the word voluntary. It's all voluntary. It's all voluntary. And whenever I hear a word voluntary used over and over, I start to hear involuntary. Um, right, exactly. So what what changes what changes for Canada and for Canadians? under this particular pact and under the guidance and the stewardship of the current prime minister? 
Well, a lot will change. It will not be changing immediately. It will not be changing on December the 10th when uh, our immigration minister, Mr. Ahmed Hussain, signs the document or the prime minister signs the document. But it is, as you read the document, which says that we commit ourselves to doing the following. We commit ourselves to doing the following. And so what we are going to be doing is that we're going to be following what the United Nations sets for us. Uh, and we will is incrementally and gradually lose control of the issue that our own uh, members of parliament are tasked to do. Their, their, their task, uh, our institutions are tasked to defend and protect and maintain our national sovereignty, our national interests, and, and how best we see whatever problem it be, from climate change to migration to the media control, whatever it be, it is we as a sovereign country, we decide how we're going to deal with it. That is what is happening. It is the UN agenda that we are adopting, one after the other. You have to look at the big picture and, and connect the dots. So this is not simply one piece of agreement that we are signing. We have signed on to several pieces of agreement by this government, which lays down the picture that is emerging very clearly where we are headed as a country. Uh, we are headed into what I would call a borderless world, which is the design of the globalist, the globalist agenda. And in opposition to that is what we are seeing now in Western Europe. You're watching that in France. I mean, they're having the biggest uh, uh, outbreak of demonstration and riots since 1968, 50 years ago. You've seen that right across uh, 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 the European Union. You've seen that two years ago with the vote of the Brexit. Uh, you saw the election of Donald Trump. What is happening is the people are waking up to the realization that they are losing control of their own country to the direction being set by unelected, faceless bureaucrats of supranational organizations, such as the European Union for the Europeans and, and the United Nations for all of us who are signed on to it. Is this going to be really what, what the Prime Minister, you remember when six days after he was he took office, he did an interview with the New York Times, Correct. in which I think we, we first heard that he was his goal was a, some sort of post-nation state for Canada. So is is this part of that part of that well it sounds like it obviously is part of that agenda. Yes it is very much so I would argue uh, I mean, the, the the interview that uh, Justin Trudeau gave that you're referring to to New York Times Guy Lawson he was very clear he said that Canada has no core identity and it's a post national state. And so we are embracing the identity that is going to be provided to us by the United Nations. You know, uh, there is nothing in nature that takes in a vacuum. It is filled up very quickly. Well, well, That's what is happening. Let me ask you, Professor Mansur, where do, where do the people who support this compact within our government, where do they, where's, the, where's the upside? How do they see this working to the benefit of Canada? Or does Canada just simply cease to exist within the within this borderless globe? Well, the, 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 the upside is uh, the, the elite, the Canadian elite, that is uh, the political elite, the uh, media elite, the academic elite, uh, the business elite, uh, they are 
going to be the beneficiaries. I mean, you saw the 500 half a billion dollar handout to the media organization. So the big, big multinationals, transnational organizations that have their subsidiaries in Canada, they will be uh, the beneficiary. That's what the whole globalist agenda is, a borderless world is, mm-hmm. uh, that the business will have a global market and it will be run out of uh, United Nations organization and agencies. It is the common people, it is the UNI and the people, the citizens of the country, they are the ones who are losing their voice in determining the direction. Okay, let, let, me, stop you, let me stop you on that and pick up that point because the voice for the people has been our freedom of expression, uh, a fundamental cornerstone in any democratic reality. Um, and an extension of that in more recent times has been freedom of the press, you know, for lack of a, of, a, of a more accurate term. What happens to freedom of expression and freedom of the press? Because, you know, what we've heard repeatedly is that the expectation is going to be that uh, media will not criticize or say anything critical about migration because it's, uh, it will be considered a human right. And freedom of expression will also be uh, some somehow significantly subdued. Do you subscribe to that? Well, I, I don't subscribe to it, but but no, no, but I mean, is, is that no? You don't subscribe to it, but is that going to be a result? Yeah, the, 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 the definitely is stated in the document. I mean, if you read the fine print, I mean, the, the statement says. Here it is. I mean, uh, in Objective 17, uh, Article 24, it says very clearly, um, promote independent, objective, and quality reporting of media outlets, etc., etc., including by sensitizing and educating media professionals on migration-related issues and stopping allocation of funding or material support to media outlets that systematically promote intolerance, xenophobia, racism, and other forms of discrimination towards migrants. This is UN speak. This is the Orwellian language of the globalist agenda. They are setting the ethical standard. So if you and I are going to question any of the UN standards which our government is adopting, that is, they want a docile media that is not going to question uh, the policies and the arrangements being set down upon us, then we who question that or critically assess that, we are then xenophobic, we are bigoted, we are racist. What was it Hillary Clinton called the people? Oh, deplorable, yeah. the basket of deplorables. That's, right. That's what we are. We are slicing down our freedom. The Canadian freedom speech issue is already constrained by innumerable laws. This is well documented. We don't have a First Amendment right. But whatever we have that is being further sliced down, we saw that last year. As I said, you have to connect the dots. We saw last year uh, Motion 103 was passed. Motion 103 is very clear. Any critical discussion of Islam and Muslims that the Muslims see as tantamount of insult of their faith and religion is going to be deemed uh, Islamophobia, and and people doing that will be called Islamophobe, and they will be liable to prosecution under the hate speech provisions of the Human Rights Commission. Okay. So there you have it. That was yeah. done a year ago. Now we see the same thing coming down with this global compact. You see, Professor, we have had, I'm yeah. sorry, I have to stop you because 
I have to take a break, and then we have a, a guest from Switzerland who's going to talk to us about a member of the Swiss Parliament who's going to tell us why Switzerland is not going to sign the agreement exactly. next week. But I, uh, yeah. I, I will invite you back, and I thank you for spending the time with us today. Thank you very much, Mr. Green. You know you hit the big leagues when you're a guest on his show. This is The Roy Green Show. Wow. What disturbs me about this uh, UN compact on migration is that even though it's been hanging around since 2016, our federal government has said very little in the way of, um, of uh, and there hasn't been any national dialogue. And again, we in the media, uh, I'll put my hand up and you can bop me on the chin, uh, haven't done what I should have done, and that has followed and pursued this um, in more detail. So... Uh, Lucy Stamm is back with us. She's a member of the Swiss Parliament for the Swiss People's Party. She's been a member of the Swiss Parliament for many years. And Switzerland has decided, initially Switzerland was going to sign on to this compact, this UN compact for migration. But now Switzerland has decided it will not ratify the compact next week. Uh, Mr. Stamm, thank you very much for the time, uh, Lucy. And, and, and why has Switzerland decided not to sign now? This was a question of a few weeks Two or three months, suddenly some of the parliamentarians, the government and um, information was so poor, suddenly members of the parliament found out, oh, the consequences will be worse than we thought. We have been very poorly informed and we started to realize um, increasing the migration, making it easier is a total mistake in our times. So what would it have meant to Switzerland? Had you signed it, how would life have changed uh, more and become more, not what you wanted in Switzerland? How would it have negatively affected the country? That is difficult to predict because um, um, you're depending on the courts and the lawyers. But if a country like Switzerland signs in this compact for migration, then our courts will have to say, um, the individuals who come from, let's say, Africa, any country, they have a right to come into Switzerland based on this compact. And that's why we suddenly realized we have to oppose. So the Swiss border would mean nothing. Um, I see it like this. I mean, if you read this compact, um, um, this global compact, if you read it, if you read these 32 or 34 pages, there are so many obligations in there that me as a court member, uh, as, a, as a judge, I would say, okay, Switzerland has signed this agreement and I will give the individual rights to this person in front of my court to come into Switzerland. And this would be a disastrous development. Now, has Switzerland decided to not sign the uh, the compact at all, or is there a debate about this, and Switzerland may still sign it in the future? That is not so clear. Unfortunately, our government, that is seven people on top, and, and the United States, Canada, and France, Germany, they have one person on top. We have seven people on top. They decided to sign. And then our Swiss parliament like the United States, um, um, a Senate and the House of Representatives, they had an opposition. And for now, our government said, OK, let's wait. 
but we have not the final decision yet that Switzerland will not sign. They certainly will not sign this year. I'm afraid next year, if we don't make strong enough opposition, perhaps next year and Switzerland will also sign, which would be, I repeat, a dramatic mistake in my opinion. How do the Swiss people feel about this? I strongly feel, I, I'm practically daily, I am somewhere in an event somewhere in Switzerland, and I see that the average population, the more they realize what is in this comp, um, um, compact, um, the more they oppose. So I think the Swiss public is clearly against this, this um, global compact. Okay. Lucci, thank you very much for the time, and thanks for staying up late to talk to us. Thank you, and good luck to Canada and the Canadian people. Thank you, sir. Good night, or good evening. All the best. Bye-bye. Switzerland, the land of my birth. That's right, I was born with the Alps staring over me when I was a baby. You don't care. Why did I bore you with that? Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.